grace and mercy and forgiving and really understanding. Today we're going to focus on understanding as an entry point into grace and forgiveness. That if you're going to end up at forgiveness, you're probably going to go through the door of understanding. Grace is in us, understanding is in us, uh, hardwired, but as we've been saying, so is revenge, so is payback, so is cold shouldering and grudge holding. Now the latter, that payback instinct, is etched into us so deeply because at one time in our human history, the only option really available to us to protect ourselves from future harm was revenge. But as we've been seeing, we no longer live in small hunter-gatherer bands, and because of that, there are far better options than revenge or payback for protecting ourselves. In fact, in the context that we have been living in since the rise of agriculture, revenge has become very counterproductive. Rather than reducing the risk of future harm, revenge now actually increases that risk. And our spiritual tradition has understood this for some time and realized that there was a disconnect between the way our brains are wired and the context in which we now live, and way back began to encourage us to practice grace and understanding and empathy because they are better strategies for making life work. But those tools, grace and understanding, compassion, mercy, those are not as etched as deeply into our instincts as are the former. Consequently, when we begin to practice understanding and grace and forgiveness, often the tools that help us move into that kind of environment uh, are demanding. They require a certain creativity or requiring, uh, require of us that we think outside of our instincts or sometimes even that we act counterintuitively. So, for some personalities, that striking back thing, it comes quite naturally. For others, it's still striking back, but it's much more subtle. Uh, so much so that many of us have convinced ourselves that we're really not payback kind of people. We're not the holding grudge kind of people. Ours are quieter forms of punishment, more subtle, a little more submerged. But because we don't think what we're doing is payback, that doesn't mean that what we're doing isn't just as ineffective as the more overt forms of payback or revenge. What payback fails to do is create a world in which we reduce the risk of future harm for everybody, ourselves included, but for everybody. Remember what I said last week, when we practice those deeply etched instincts, we poison the water. And we might be able to insulate ourselves from the poison water for a while, but eventually we're gonna have to drink it also. Payback doesn't create a world where we reduce future harm. So, when people show up at our conflict resolution process, when we do that after we've done the self-awareness workshop, we then will do one on conflict resolution. Uh, when people show up for it, they often think that they've been working on conflict resolution for a long time. Usually they're thinking it's been years and years. 
And they show up oftentimes or fail to show up sometimes on the brink of giving up on a relationship because they don't really believe after all that effort that conflicts can actually be resolved. But in fact, what they have been practicing while they were trying to resolve conflict was, because you know, brain tricks, some more various or subtle form of payback relational dynamics. Now, that does not reduce future harm. Because here they are about to lose this relationship, a loss that is going to cost them dearly and make their lives much more dangerous. So what we have to do is work really hard, and we do that in the conflict resolution process, to find out what are those creative, counterintuitive ways to reduce future harm. Figuring out how it is that we hear and are heard, how we understand and are understood. How do you go about negotiating for the well-being of the whole, not just the well-being of the part? And when we start moving into those paths, it demands of us that we break down old habits. And we have to start cutting new neural pathways in our heads. And these new neural pathways are really good at helping us build bigger versions of we. And that, it turns out, bigger versions of we those actually do protect us from future harm. Well, that's where this lesson has been. And now for today, let's begin with what we're going to talk about this week by going back over a couple of mentee comments that came in in the last few weeks. And by the way, if you'd like to contribute something to the mentee discussion, there's the code right there, the website and the code. So one person said, okay, Doug, I get it. Uh, natural selection, brain trick instincts, not enough. I get it. Uh, we need an elevated perspective. We need a bigger truth. But how in the world are we going to get that? Well, lucky for you, mentee commenter, that's what we're going to talk about right now. <laughs> we're going to talk about what are the practical ways that we move into this bigger reality territory. How do we uh, find out, find our way into grace and forgiveness? Now, here's the thing. It's not going to be new material. Uh, it's... Uh, might surprise you that even this old material has application in this very different context. That's what you're going to see. Another mentee commenter said this. Here's the thing, Doug. I'm not really pointing my finger at somebody else who needs forgiveness. It's not some bad actor who needs my understanding or my mercy. It was me. I did the bad thing. It was me. I broke things beyond repair. It was me. I'm the one who caused the pain. And so what about that, Doug? Well, it turns out that the wisdom of our tradition approaches both of those mentee comments the same way. That if we're going to enter into forgiveness for the other or for ourselves, we're going to enter through the door of understanding. Because our tradition normalizes this basic reality that we have within ourselves the inescapableness of a shadow side. We all have them, every one of us, we all have them. If we were to use the language of the religious tradition or the ancient scriptures, Paul would say, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory, divine light. So there is an inevitability of the false self. In other words, we uh, one of the ways that we say it on a regular basis is you never had the option not to have a shadow side. 
you were just always going to have one. The only option you had was to try and hide yourself from it, not see it. But you never had the option not to have it. So we normalize that process. One of the things when we are studying our personalities by looking at the Enneagram that we come to see is that every one of us have a gift. And here's the kicker. Every one of us have a flip side of that gift. And the flip side of that gift is our curse. Our curse is inevitably a function of our gift. I'll give you an example. My personality is really good at achieving closure. It's a gift. <laughs> when I was young, I could get things done that other people didn't seem to be able to get done. Closure. Did I mention it's a gift? <laughs> got me lots of accolades. Got me lots of reinforcement. Keep up the good work, young man. Now, it doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to happen, but many in our community have suffered <laughs> the slings and arrows of the curse side of my drive for closure because I have been known from time to time to run roughshod over people and to ride roughshod over process, but hey, I got some stuff done. So it's a gift unless you happen to be one of those people that got ridden roughshod over or unless you happen to be working on a process that got ignored or worked around. But here's the thing. I know you're looking at me like that, but I'm not alone. You do the same kind of stuff, different categories. So you've got to cut me some slack because here, what were my alternatives? Here's what I could have done. I could have quit using the gift. I could have quit working for closure. That wouldn't have served anybody well. Or worse, here's the thing you've got to cut me some slack about. When one of us, me included, is functioning in the gift and getting all the feedback that our gift and all of its giftiness gets us, and when we're functioning in the curse side of the gift and all the cursiness that our gift can get us inside of our heads and inside of our hearts, inside of our guts, it feels to us like we are doing the exact same thing, the exact same thing. I'm doing the same thing I was doing when I got the gift as I'm doing when I'm bumping into the curse. This gift-curse dynamic is such an integrated part of our being that it is very, very difficult to see it when it's running in the background. Now, when we do the egregious thing that is difficult to forgive, the thing we know we should never have done, or when we say the egregious thing, the thing we know we should never have said, or when we didn't show up when it really mattered that we did, or we didn't say the words that we really needed to say, or when we do the thing and then do it again and then do it again and again and again until it gets so deeply ingrained in habit that not doing it doesn't even feel possible. When we do the thing, we tend to focus on the thing. And we don't understand the tectonic plates that are moving under the surface that are driving the thing. And one of the tectonic plates that's under the surface is this gift-curse dynamic. The fact that when I am doing the false self, I am doing what has gotten me so much affirmation in the world. We are never not going to have a false self. And that means we're never not going to have a curse side. But when we manifest that dynamic in the thing, and we don't pay attention to the thing under the thing, we fail to understand. And if we fail to understand, it's going to be very, very difficult 
to forgive the faith. One of the kindest and nicest people in our community. Outlier kind of gentle. Super supportive. Authentic in a deep compassion. Very, very helpful. That person was having a very difficult time forgiving themselves because he or she, I'm not saying, but for shorthand, let's just use he, because he had allowed himself to be taken advantage of. And by allowing himself to be taken advantage of, it was costing him and it was costing his family. And there were fi the financial costs that went along with that, but beyond that, there was the shame for being so gullible, so stupid, so easily deceived, so foolish, over and over and over. And then the end of the month came and there's the budget reminding him yet again, stupid, 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 gullible, gullible, foolish. And then a month later, there's the budget numbers that begin again at the end of the month. And then again, the month after that and the month after that, month after month after month. And eventually, the financial part stopped being as big a part of the problem, as big a percentage of the problem and the shame and the inner beating that he was administering to himself, they became just as bad as the financial hit. So when we talked and eventually the conversation got around to this, one of the things that he said was, this wasn't the first time. It's a pattern. It's a pattern that I swore would never happen again and then it happened again. And then when it happened again, I swore it would never happen again, and then it happened again. So this time we're coming on the heels of so many times I have fallen prey to the same stupid, stupid, gullible, gullible, foolish, foolish. So you hear us talk a lot about the thing under the thing. I hope you saw Beth's post on Facebook some time ago. There's an iceberg, and there's the thing, and then under the water, there's the thing under that, and then the thing under that, and then the thing under that. When we do the egregious thing, it's the thing. And part of us is able to understand ourselves and extend grace to ourselves and befriend our shadow sides. But if that we're going to be able to do that, we're going to have to access more than the thing. We're going to have to access the thing under the thing under the thing under the thing. Because the exact same thing that my friend was doing when he was generously helping a family in our community, going above and beyond, actually paying a personal price to be the kind of support that he was being and hardly even noticing that he was paying that price in order to serve and care for the other. The same thing he was doing when he was doing that was the same thing he was doing when he was being open-hearted and generous and trusting and trustworthy and being taken advantage of when his good graces were being exploited, when his kind-heartedness was being leveraged for selfish gain, he was doing, in both of those contexts, the exact same thing. And if all you see is the thing, here's what you don't see. You don't see the thing when you're caring for a family, but you do see the thing when you're taken advantage of. If all you see is the tip of the iceberg, you fail to have an understanding that will allow us to be forgiving of ourselves. All we see is that we did the thing and we've done the thing before and we did it once again and we swore we wouldn't and here we are doing it again. It's very difficult to forgive when all you have access to is the thing. To be able to forgive, you have to understand 
what's going on beneath the sink and see how blended and how mingled the curse side and the gift side truly are and to see how we never really had the option not to have a curse side. And whatever our thing is, you can pretty much bet if you dig down far enough, it's rooted in that gift-curse dynamic that we call the false self. So we access grace and we access mercy and we access forgiveness when we understand. And we understand when we understand the thing under the thing. And we understand when we understand we never had the option to not have a thing under the thing and that that thing under the thing would be our curse. We don't ever take uh, the ability to have an ownership stake in these tectonic plates or even be able to negotiate with them or sidestep them until we have understanding. Now, for some personalities, that gift-curse dynamic organizes around optimism. That's a gift. Lightheartedness, that's a gift until it comes with a curse. For some, the gift-curse dynamic organizes around working hard or around feeling deeply, or around planning well for the future. And that's a gift until it becomes a pressure that becomes a driving narrative that becomes a thing that causes us to do the thing. When our gifts go bad, they show up as a thing, drinking too much, or saying something destructive or hurtful, or an infidelity, or stealing or lying or a failed relationship, or a failed career, or a recurring character flaw. And when all we see is the thing, we just can't forgive the thing. We just can't. But we also can't fix it when all we see is the thing. When we don't see the thing that's driving the thing, because I promise you, if you've done the thing once, it will come back until those tectonic plates are dealt with. So we spend all of our energy telling ourselves, boy, that was a doozy thing. It's an I can't forgive it doozy of a thing. And we make that calculation with no consideration for what's going on under the surface. The place inside where I have this gift-curse dynamic morphs into a story that we tell ourselves and then it drives us to do or to say the thing and we don't know what the driving force is behind them. Because for the most part, we don't know the stories that we tell ourselves. For the most part, we just live them unconsciously. And we find a way to make our gift-curse dynamic work by telling ourselves some story about the way good people are or the way that we should be or swear to God you never should be taken advantage of or some other story that we tell ourselves. Then that story produces a set of instincts, produces a set of behaviors, and those behaviors then become very difficult to forgive. So it begins with understanding. It begins with understanding ourselves. What we're doing when we do these self-awareness, self-disclosure worksheets, what we do when we gather for our workshop to learn how to do those together, this is what we're after. It's understanding what's going on under the surface. Now we've got a slide and I put it on, on it, it didn't make it here. Imagine you're seeing a slide from the self-awareness, self-disclosure <laughs> workshop and it would be a lot of the things that we've gathered when people get through these 14 questions, and when they get, I think it's probably around question 12 or something, we say, name the pattern that is this thing. And there will be a whole bunch of patterns that we've accumulated just kind of help us realize, oh, that's the kind of thing that you're talking about. 
It might be something like this. I am super competent. I can do stuff. Which very quickly morphs into I must be super competent. Which then becomes a pressure to be super competent. And if then you come along and poke something, this is my strategy that says I am valuable in the world because I am super competent. And then you come along and show me some way in which I am not super competent or put me in a context in which I don't feel super competent and you just watch the, the fireworks begin to and the internal pressure that comes and maybe I'll cap it off and maybe all of my suffering will be internalized and maybe I'll just get an ulcer or maybe I'll let you be on the receiving end of it. But either way, what I'm doing is the thing. And what I don't understand is that way back here, there was a story that began with me being competent, with me being capable. Or you could change that and make it, I'm very gracious. Or you could make that, I am very optimistic. Or you could make that, you know what, I am very powerful. Or you could make that, you know what, I am, I am able to get done things that the right way. I am able to see the right way and do the right way. It doesn't matter where you begin, Inevitably, it comes with <laughs> because the world won't coordinate with our false selves because they are by nature false. So there are about a million variants of the stories that we tell ourselves, but unaware of what they are, all we see is the thing. Very difficult to forgive the thing. The thing under the thing is how we come to understand the thing, and when we understand, something happens to us. We start to begin to become understanding. And when we become understanding, grace is right around the corner, as is mercy, as is forgiveness. Now, we may never laugh at the thing because sometimes the thing is just too painful. But we do come to laugh at our old traveling companion, the thing under the thing the driving belief, or the driving story. And we roll our eyes at ourselves saying, there I am doing that again. There I am falling back into that old thinking pattern. And we come to the place where we can eventually befriend that tectonic plate such that it does no longer dominate our lives. It doesn't come up sight unseen and manifest in behaviors that are difficult to forgive. We heard earlier, one of Jesus' wisdom sayings, that forgiveness for self and forgiveness for the other are part of a feedback loop. Do one and we become more able to do the other. Do the other and we can become more able to do the one. And it begins with understanding. And one of the best places to start understanding is with ourselves. Because if we understand ourselves, we begin to be able to be gracious toward ourselves because we can find mercy inside of ourselves for ourselves. And when we start to internalize and live in that reality, our curse mixed with our gift becomes, oh yeah, I understand that. And then we laugh because we see how we have been derailed once again by our false selves. And we awaken, we awaken to that reality that in myself, I was never gonna not have a false self. I was never gonna not have the shadow side. And if that's true of me, it's not very long before I start to realize it's also true of you. That's how that dynamic Jesus described works. When I understand that you have got a very understandable false self narrative that drives your very understandable behaviors. And I understand that I've got that too. Now, 
we can be together in working on sidestepping the toxic sides of our false selves. And when we're doing that, we're stumbling into a deep understanding of the other. You've heard the expression uh, there, except for the grace of God, that's me. That goes, that's where I'm going. In other words, any bad thing that I see, once I become self-aware enough to know that this gift-curse dynamic is going on, this shadow side thing is going on, I know that all it would take is for me to have been born arbitrarily with a different personality. All it, ta all it would take is for me to have been born arbitrarily into another set of circumstance, and that's me. That's me doing that thing. So that's what we're working on when we're working on this self-awareness, self-disclosure process. That's what we've tried to make the, this dynamic accessible in a very here now small doable way. So I do hope you're doing your worksheets. I hope you do a couple of them a month because there's a lot of, at stake in that seemingly simple exercise. Those 14 questions, they really matter. They unearth the thing under the thing and they awaken us to understanding and they make us available to grace and mercy and forgiveness. First for ourselves, then for one another, and as we'll see next week, even for the one who has done us harm. So in dwelling spirit, deeper access to our inner worlds and to the inner divine, a reality that is bigger than our false selves. Amen. <laughs>